Hello, this is Chris O'Regan, and you're listening to The Sausage Factory. This is episode 210 of The Sausage Factory. In this episode, I talk to Chris Seaver and Sean Pyle of Gory Detail about their puzzle platform action-adventure game, The Unlikely Legend of Rusty Pup. But before we delve deep into that, let's talk a little bit about Kane and Rince and what else they produce. So Kane and Rince is a staple of podcasts, three notably. We have Kane and Rince itself, comes out every Monday, and that's a podcast where they hosts delve deep into a particular game title because they've all completed it. They've all cane and rinsed it, hence the name. Then we have Sound of Play on a Wednesday. It's where the scores, that's the musical scores of video games we play, are celebrated and highlighted and played. It's one of the most relaxing podcasts I listen to. Highly, highly recommend it. You can find out more about this podcast, The Sausage Factory and Cane and Rinse and Sound of Play over at caneandrinse.com where not only are their archives of all three podcasts, but also a lively forum. I know, weird, right? But yes, a forum that is still active. And also um, details about our Patreon. Yes, there is a Patreon where you can uh, sub- subscribe or donate, I should say, $1 a month, just $1 a month. And it will grant you extra content by Kane and Rince. If the three podcasts aren't enough, we do more. Yes, uh, there's extended editions of Cane and Rinse. Normally they're limited to two hours, but many of the hosts kind of ramble on because they are talking in detail about the games they've played and finished, so they do go on a little bit longer. So if you want extended editions of those podcasts, the only way to get them is to actually uh, subscribe or donate via Patreon just for one dollar. That's 77 pence or so currently. So do do that now. That's enough of that. Let's move on to the main feature where I talk to Chris and Sean about the amazing game that is the unlikely legend of Rusty Pup. Sean and Chris, please, tell us, who are you and what do you do? Go on, no, okay, I'll go first. I'm Chris Siebel. Um I'm a, a, an ex-RA uh, employee uh, where I worked on... Um, well, I was employed as, a, as an artist to begin with, um, Subsequently became a designer, but I started work on Killer Instinct, the very, the very the arcade one, the very first one for, for Williams, and then I worked on various conversions of that to consoles, 
worked on the first uh, the the N64. Um, it was called the Ultra back then. I seem to recall. Um, and then I uh, we moved over. I moved over to doing uh, Conquer, but as the, as the, as the lead artist, which was called Twelve Tales. Then one thing led to another, and it became Bad Fur Day, and I was elevated to the illustrious position of of. Uh, of what was I? I was guess I was lead designer and. Yeah. I guess I was in charge of the team. So, whatever that role had, we didn't team really have lead. <coughs> team lead. We didn't really have formal titles at Rare too much to be able to. Something that came much later. So um, you just had a bunch of work to do, and you kind of decided at the end what it was you did. But I did some graphics. I managed the team, but mainly I was design on that. So, uh, and then I did some other bits and bobs, which didn't come to much. Uh, so like uh, a sequel to Perfect Dark. Uh, not Perfect Dark Zero, the original Perfect Dark. Uh, we spent a year or so on that. Oh, we did Urchin as well for a year. Uh, and one thing, push come to shove, we ended up doing a, a remake of um, Bad Fur Day for the. Oh, oh yes, because we started off working for Nintendo, but ended up working for Microsoft. Uh, it's complicated matters a bit. Uh, and then I, um, and then I left. <laughs> for whatever reasons and uh set up my own little company called gory detail with with mr sean here um that was a while ago now five yeah. years yeah uh, just really just as a kind of a well let's see what we can do and then um we made parachute stand we made an eight-bit version of that like the little retro version and it's like we decided oh we can actually do this without killing each other so, so we started working on something new after Stan was out, and it was uh, a bit more of a, a bit more ambitious game called Rust- the Unlikely Legend of Rusty Pot, um, which had just come out. And oh, here we are. Yes. Uh, here we are. And now I'll uh, I'll send you over to Sean. Gosh, yeah. Sean, <laughs> so what do you do? My my intro is slightly smaller. So um, I I started a rare in '96, I think, and I ended up working with Chris pretty much the whole way through. Mm. So I did uh, Twelve Tales. Um, I'm a programmer, obviously. He says. Um, So I did Twelve Tales, Bad Fur Day, Live and Reloaded. uh, Did some work on uh, sound designer as well. Yeah, yeah. Did (laughs) did lots of uh, audio programming as well later on for games like Banjo, Nuts and Bolts, Sports. And um, I kind of had enough of it all as well. I think when Rare turned into a sports company, so I joined. So I moved over with Chris and we did Gory Detail. So um, I'm. The sole, well, I, I suppose the main programmer, there's me, and I've got a friend who helps out occasionally. But, uh, yeah, programmer, that's what I do. <laughs> so congratulations on finishing Unlikely Legend of Rusty Pup. To the layman, that sounds really patronising to say someone, that, well done for finishing the thing they do. But making video games is very, very, very hard. It <laughs> is. It is. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So it, I mean that most sincerely. So well done for making such an extraordinary and you know completing such an extraordinary game. So the last Thanks. last two percent is just excruciating. <laughs> <laughs> what the game? No, the making of it. Oh, okay, right. Yeah. <laughs> you might be right on the other count as well. Yeah, <laughs> it's got it's got to within two percent of the, the end. end of the game. Oh my god. <laughs> Somebody sure. called one of the final levels Lovecraftian in difficulty, which yeah. I found was quite amusing. Yeah. Anyway, go, sorry. No, no, it's fine. It's fine. 
Um, so yeah. yeah, it's difficult. It's difficult, yeah. but but it is. It, that we know that we already knew that coming in, so it's not it's not a problem. So um, yeah, it's just you just keep cracking away at it until uh, until you get there. I mean, these things have a habit of growing. Oh yeah, originally, well, originally Rusty was meant to take like a year and a half and be out on phones and would just be like a kind of a your typical mobile game where oh. you have fifty fairly quick levels that you could you know you could plow through them and we were going to monetize it slightly differently and then i thought no the, the market kind of changed didn't it that's, it that's did. Well, it we, we to changed free to play we changed as well we were like yeah. oh we don't want to do this so um we thought we'd make a, a more ambitious game instead yeah it's, um it's ballooned really so yeah we're halfway down that rabbit hole because i'm we had to we had to carry on to that level, and um, the levels just got bigger and bigger, and the scope got much bigger. Although we did pair it back quite a lot from what it originally original design had loads of crafting in there for making platforms and stuff. But that that would have exponentially increased the problems of of um, testing the game. So yeah, there's a, it might have been sort of verging on the survival side of things. However. Before we delve into that, we need to talk okay. about your good sales. Yeah. Um, so this one, this is a very sort of loaded question. Um, yeah. How did you make your start making video games? Now, I know you talked about your time at Rare, but, you know, we like to go as far back as we humanly can. Right. So when did you make your first faltering steps on to making flashy, lighty video games? Um, oh. Yeah. It was Rare. <laughs> well, yeah. right, it was. That was my first job, yeah. Like my okay. first job ever was 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 making a a uh, the background for the werewolf in Killer Instinct. That was my first ever job. Pretty good first job. Uh, oh well, I mean, I had like a placement in in London working because originally I was I was a uh, graphic design, right? Um, information design, it was actually, which sounds pretty boring, and it and it is. So, um, I, I did. I, I think I was. At, I can't remember the name of the company now. Uh, children's book company in London. I can't remember. What was it? Is it uh, not Dolan Kinsley? Walker Books. It was Walker Books. So um, I did a, a placement there, and I, it was, wasn't for me. So as luck would have it, our course, which is at Falmouth, um, they got a three D, a three D package called Three D Studio. Um, which is like a precursor to Max, I think it is. Yeah. Um, and I had a play on that, and I went, Ooh, oh, I really like this. So I spent like a year on that, pretty much I was the only one doing it. And that got me into 3D. Uh, and subsequently, our course, one of the course leaders at Falmouth, uh, was a guy called uh, Liam Scanlon, who um, was, I think he's, he's pretty well known in the 3D world. I think he, he was the one who programmed, this is a story, it might not be true, but this is what he told me years ago. The very first advert, or the very first thing that used CG in a commercial sense, was the Michelin Man advert, going years back. He was the one that sat and programmed that, apparently. Anyway, but that's an anecdote. But he was my tutor, and he said, oh, we're starting this new course in Bournemouth called, uh, it was like 3D design. I can't remember the name of the course now. It was a postgraduate course. PJ with a with a, an extra so it's postgraduate with a diploma so it's full year so it worked through the summer as well it was in Bournemouth I thought oh, that's cool I got the beach again so uh, 
I said, I'll go and have a look. And I, I went on the course. I think it was the second year of it, second year of the course. Um, and decided 3D was definitely what I wanted to do, to do, but with a view to going into the film industry, which is what everyone was doing. Um, and then by a complete chance of fate, one of my friends on the course had an interview because Games was just starting to dip its toe into, into 3D. Um, and... Um, Sorry, my dog's licking himself. You can hear that. <laughs> Stop that. It's not me. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Somebody else. Right. My dog's licking his balls. It's not a very nice sound. Uh, yeah. So we, we got into. Uh, we're just getting into three D. Um, uh, I can't remember what games are. It's very few, but but rare. Well, I did. I'd never heard of Rare, to be honest. But they were—they'd obviously got the Donkey Kong deal, and they were doing the 3D thing. And they—they they were starting to really look for people to do it. And one of the places they always went to was was Bournemouth, this new course. So, um, and one of my mates got an interview, and he—he he was going up anyway. And he said, "I need someone to share the petrol with. Do you want to come?" So I thought, "Oh yeah, I've got nothing better to do." So I just turned up, got an interview. I brought my stuff up just in case. I was offered a job. I was like, well, okay. I'd actually had a, a tentative offer from, who was it? It was EA um, down in London. And they, I wouldn't say they dicked me around, but it, it was just, it was taking ages to get any kind of response from them. In the end, I'd actually, I was actually already working at Rare for like a month and they rang me up and said, oh, you sure you don't want to come work for us now? <laughs> I was like, nah, you're all right, mate. So, so I, I, I I don't know if that was a close shave or, uh, <laughs> or, uh, or you know, maybe now I'd be head of EA. Who knows? <laughs> you never know. It just, yeah, I, the I, way filed by a, by an entire generation. No one could have predicted what happened to EA from them that point. Really, it's like, what is it now? Oh God! I know. So, well, yeah, and the, I think their main game was it was some it was Kasparov's chess or something. That's what I was showed when I went there. I thought, oh god! Yeah, they thought uh, football was a waste of time. It's well known. They didn't. <laughs> they did. It wasn't yeah, I can believe it. I, mean, I was happy. I was happy to have a job yeah. uh, until but... they realised, oh wait, everyone in the world except Americans plays this game. Yes, maybe we should do it then. Maybe you should do. Oh, I did have. I had a. I did have a job offer from. I think Cygnosis. Ah. We went through there, yeah. and that was. I really liked Cygnosis. Plus, they were in Liverpool, which was just like around the corner from. When my parents live, so it would have been quite handy. Yeah. So, um, and then you would, would have ended up in uh, at Sony then. Redundant. <laughs> and redundant. Yeah. But, uh, no. yeah. They, they were really flashy. I was really impressed with Cygnosis. Yeah. But, uh, I think it it was mainly just flash and no real substance. <laughs> so. a, a good veneer. They did. <laughs> so, uh, what, about, what about you, Sean? Where did you make it oh, start uh, I, prodding away? Back a bit further. So um, when I was, I think I was 11, and, and a kid at school had a ZX81. Yep. And uh, I religiously used to go to his house every evening, and we would try and type in all these listings from magazines. On that keyboard. Yeah, yeah. And, <laughs> and, and what happened is there was a, there was a kid at my school who, who gave me a listing that he'd handwritten, and he told me it would do Space Invaders. Right. So I took it, so I took it to my mates, and we spent the entire yeah. evening – trying to fix the syntax errors and i thought i've got no idea what any of this means i need to find out so um so that christmas my my mum and dad bought my brother and myself a spectrum 48k wow 
and um, it was a joint present. And I I had jetpack and and miner, and my brother had flight simulator, I think, and some probably some Formula One Grand Prix. He was a bit more into the simulator side, and so we used to fight tooth and nail as to who would get on the keyboard each night. So we'd get an hour each or something. And um, and I thought, how how do you you write these things? How do you make all this work? And um, and I just I got the Spectrum manual, typed in all the listings, and pretty much that was it. I I just spent all my time trying to move things around, and and then what? It, I there was a magazine, and Jeff Minter had written an article, and it was he was saying that even I can draw a camel. I think was his punchline. <laughs> um, and it was it, it it basically got me hooked. You know, this this guy was saying, well, you know, you, anyone can do this if you if you stick at it and if you've got an imagination. So um, Jeff's still doing it. Well, <laughs> Jeff's still doing Jeff's it. Jeff's still doing it, and he's still drawing camels. Yeah, yeah. Only yeah, this time it's in PSVR, but he's still drawing camels. Yeah, pretty much. So um, so yeah, I can trace it back to Jeff and uh, an ultimate really. I mean. When I was a kid, if if you were into into the spectrum, it was ultimate games uh, were the thing. So yep. I mean, I, I, it it was a slow process when you're a kid trying to learn to program. And and I remember learning. You know, I read somewhere that to make them really work, you did need machine code. Did you know code. Uh, was ultimate when you got there? No, no, no. That was that. Neither that's, did I. That's a strange. Yeah. strange really? No, I had no idea because I'd been out of the kind of. I used to obviously game when I was younger, but I was completely out of the loop. For well, gaming. That, wasn't quite when I got there. It, I, I didn't know. I walked in and I saw the attic attack posters on the wall and, and Cookie, and, and yeah. I was like, "Why the hell? Why have they got that up there? What's that?" Yeah. Yeah. And, and I asked them, and they just looked at me. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's like, okay. yeah, they, they were. I mean, well, basically, I just kept programming, and uh, I eventually I went to university and did um, computer science and maths. But all I ever wanted to do was program games. I, it was a means to an end. And I only went to university because I'd applied for lots of programming jobs and they all said you need a degree. And um, and I and what it was, I'd seen, um, it was Donkey Kong Country. I think I was second year university. I saw Donkey Kong Country and thought, wow, that's amazing. Yeah, it is. And it said, oh, it's rare limited. Yeah. And I rare, never heard of them. Who the hell's that? And then I found out they were ultimate. Right. And I saw that to apply for them, you needed a degree to finish it. So basically, I I put them on my list to apply to as soon as I finished. Right. Uh, and I did. And I turned up, and I still wasn't 100% sure that they were ultimate because I don't sort of cursory read it. And uh, like Chris, you get there, and it was it was all plastered all over the place. And you're like... Oh, this is uh, this is pretty cool, but they were the they were the only company I wanted to work for. Really, um, as soon as I, I definitely knew they were ultimate. That was it. I, yeah. That was my mission. Yeah, so. I mean, the, the the story of Nightlaw, which I streamed about a month ago, uh, that uh, they held the release back for fear of tramping over the competition. <laughs> it's yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah, just don't. I, I mean, I checked that as well. I, the I, competition being themselves. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> but I, I asked, I remember asking Chris Stamper, because Chris Stamper, you, you know, when when I first started at Rare, he used to come round once a week and sit on the desk and ask you what you'd been up to, which is was quite intimidating at the time. Yeah, but, yeah. Um, yeah, it was, I asked about all those sort of things. You know, it was, it was kind of a, a, a dream job. 
uh, you know, to to be part of that. It was very, very secretive at Rare. Oh, they which, were, but was that true? Is that I mean, that's not sort of it's a legend, but was that was that true? Was, yeah, it, it was that times a hundred. Oh right. <laughs> Went yeah, the yeah. Your your key would get you into your office essentially, and yeah. and the canteen yeah. and reception, and, and that, that was that it. was pretty much the well, case right the way till yeah. Microsoft. No, the, the question I was asking was the holding off of the release of Night Law. Was it true or yes? Yes. Oh right. Yeah. 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 It was. Uh, I think it was uh, just John, was Ritman, it John Ritman. It? John, John Ritman. John Ritman had seen it and went. I, I don't know. I, I'm, I think that was the story because John Ritten did. I think he did third party stuff for them. Yeah, uh, he did the. He, he did work for them basically as a, as a kind of a. He wasn't a full time employee at Rare. Uh, he came. To he was there a few times. And I remember him. He used to turn up every now and yeah, again, which was another and another he, one of those hero moments. Him, he says, you need to. This is this is amazing, at night or you because they haven't. What was it going up against? They were going to. They had that before. Um, was it Sable Wolf. Yeah. Sable Wolf. Yeah. And Night Law was done. Yeah. And they said, he said, don't. Yeah. Yeah. So they sat on it. It was, I mean, it was quite a time then. It wasn't like a, it was done, wasn't it, a year or anything, but it was amazing to think that they had that first. Yeah. Because, I mean, that changed everything, didn't it? I mean, for kids. I mean, even Chris and myself both, you know, that game is like, whoa. The significance of Night Law is such that I actually bought that game. Yeah. I'm not suggesting I pirated any of the other ones. Well, it had a nice box. It had a nice box, didn't it? It did. Yeah, yeah. I, I, yeah. I managed to get hold of a mint one a few years one. back. It's I, a bit crushing, man. Yeah. <laughs> and, and I never got it signed. We both said that. That, that yeah. was the thing we both regretted. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> so, say, oh, Chris, Tim, well, they would have done it, I'm yeah. sure. <laughs> Yeah, it never even occurred to me because it was just like just a job then. It was yeah, like yeah. Chris, you know, like two two blokes that we knew that we worked for. Yeah, um, fantastic so, stuff. Yeah. It still plays well uh, to this day. That's does Jetpack. Still play Jetpack. Oh, Jetpack! Yeah, What's yeah. It about that game, it's just, it's yeah. Just so Especially on a keyboard, it's yeah. it's it's just really, it's just, really yeah. slick. Yeah. So. Uh, next question, then. And then it gets, this is starting to get difficult now. Uh, this one's very, very hard to answer, but have a go. Just have a go. It's no right answer. Just have a go. So as a studio, what do you believe is your biggest influence as creatives? What's the thing that you find yourself orbiting more than anything else? Uh, well, I don't know. I suppose, well, from my point of view, we're, we're a product of, of a particular yeah, we're, time we're at Rare. Yeah, right. Um, a time where, um, when we started, sort of 95, 96, it was... Um, Rare had a particular way of doing it. Yeah, yeah, and everything was kind of possible if you could only figure it out. <laughs> so, yeah. you know, there was a, an a, attention to detail that we were allowed the space to kind of explore. I think that was, that's feels quite important to me. I mean, yeah, we weren't, we weren't, we weren't there to churn out any old nonsense. So it was very much like, it was that, it's more of an ethos than a, than an influence. I think we've, mm. we've definitely carried that with us. It's, it, you know, oh, I'm not sure this is going to work, but the best way to find out is to try it. 
So obviously there's extremes to that where you know it's definitely not going to work. But but um, we would never say, oh, I'm not going to do that because it seems like too much of a, a job. If it was worth doing, we, we, we would try it and go ahead and, and find out by, you know, obviously not everything we tried works, but at least we knew for sure. So that kind of ethos carried through, has carried through with us. I mean, if you think of it, I guess the question could be like other studios that we kind of based on. I, I don't know if there's anything now around that we kind of look at and go, uh, do we? There's definitely other studios that, that we admire. Yeah, yeah, um, there's a lot of lot of, that um, we admire. So the Limbo guys, is that? Yeah, 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 they're, they're amazing. Um, it's just because they've got, I think they've got the same kind of, view of making a game they'll go what game do we want to make and we're going to spend as much time as we need to to get it right and we're definitely at that camp <laughs> so well, uh, i have to say you've been obviously in the industry for a long time over 20 20 years and something i don't labor that point but uh, uh it's very important that you have this sort of long history i've always wanted to ask a question like this is if you took yourself from 20 years ago and plopped yourself now what would be the thing that, the, that immediately strikes you like what what is this? What, what do you think would be the one, that think, one thing that strikes you about the, the video game development community now and the industry now as it was 20 years ago? What's the one thing? This is just a, just a thought that sprung to my mind. Oh, right. Literally travel in time. Yeah. If you, um, took, if you just took yourself from 1996 and went, there you go, there's 2018, enjoy for 10 minutes and then come <laughs> back again. So just like, what, what's the thing that would strike you the most? Oh, just the graphics, I guess. Yeah. I, I look at the graphics and go, how many people have they got working on this game? This must have taken 10 years. <laughs> I'd still be thinking it was 20 people making the graphics. Right. I, I won't in my head have gone, have scaled it the way that it's actually gone. Yeah. The thing is, those, those kind of games, that's, that's inaccessible. To, in a, uh, unassailable, should I say, is the word. I don't look at those games and go, Oh, I wish we were making stuff like that because I think logistically they're a nightmare to make games like that, and they cost so much money. So we're not we're not even thinking about that as a thing that's like we want to do, uh, but it's still impressive within itself. Yeah. Um, I mean, um, the, the thing I was alluding to really is how diverse games are. You know, if uh, you, if oh, you... I mean, uh, yeah, there's yeah, there's a lot, there's a lot of different mechanics around there's some really i mean there's some lovely stuff out there you uh, there's some games i look and i go damn it like, <laughs> I, yeah. i've had those bits in my head yes but they, i thought to put them together to do that to do that to yeah do that yeah so um yeah. that happens quite a lot but i think that's every uh every designer's like oh bastards <laughs> you know what i mean it's like yeah, so I mean, it's a great response, basically being you know inspired and, and, uh, and sort of relate to other games and, and people's work, and also your own history and your own training, because that's what you know your own because you started out from that in that, in that environment, you worked your way through for quite a while. So, who do you most admire in the industry then? As a developer, can be a person or a studio. Is there any one particular studio you want to sort of? Um, Sort of say, yeah, you carry on doing what you're doing. I can say the one, uh, Play Dead, for me. Yeah. If, if, I, if I didn't work for Chris, and if, uh, you know, that's that would be the studio yeah. I would aspire. Yeah, I'd, I'd love to work for them. No. You, you know, they're, they're, they're the studio that are closest to, to what I would like to be doing. 
yeah. you know, if I if I wasn't working here at Gory T Detail. So yeah. I, so remind I, us what, what they've made. That, uh, sure I just, uh, I mean, you know, when I look at something like Limbo, I mean, yeah. I still, yeah. I still enjoy it. I still think it's it's an incredible. It's the animation. Uh, yeah, it's just it's, it's everything about yeah. it. it. Again, they've. They they round the corners of everything. You know, everything's smooth and nothing's. You know, the little attention to detail thing. Yeah, they do, they double down on the on, on refining everything. Yeah, so. yeah, and I mean in inside as well. You know, I I think I probably enjoyed that more than Chris. Um, oh, I, yeah, the part. It was just a tonal shift in the gameplay towards the end that I didn't like. We've talked yeah, about that. Yeah. That, that's not a reflection on the game's quality within itself. No, no. It's more, more of a narrative issue. That yeah. It but as a, as a game, again, you know, they, they, they really sort of pull out all the stops on stuff. So I, I really like their, you know, that's the sort of game that I enjoy playing. Yeah, they're very, very, very slick. Yeah. Whereas Chris plays, you play just about everything, don't you? No, I, no, I, don't, I don't play that much, really. Um, I've, got, I've got lots of games that, on my list of shame on Steam. <laughs> it's not a, a friend of mine once said it's not your list of shame. It's your personal investment into video game industry. Well, that's it. Yeah, <laughs> you retire. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's how I say it anyway. <laughs> yeah, I, I, yeah. There's games I like to. I, thinking about playing them, I think is more actually enjoyable than <laughs> firing it up and actually. Sitting. Playing them, yeah, so. I know. Yeah, against Terraria and things like that. You go, oh yeah, I love the idea of that. And you actually sit and play and go, oh, I just, I'm, I'm an old man now. I just don't have the patience for this. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, okay. Well, again, that leads me on to my last question of the first half. See, you made it. Well done. Thank <laughs> you. Uh, I am legally obliged to ask this because we're a podcast about video games. So, what are you playing right now? Well, my yeah. Um, what games are you playing? Right, what's diverting your attention away from things you ought to be doing? Um, well, I've just—if you'd have asked me a week ago, it would have been World of Tanks. Nice. But since I just deleted my account for the very about, last time for about fifty forever. 50. No, it's gone this time. It's definitely not coming back. I've made sure of it. Then it's not World of Tanks anymore. Put way too much time into that. Um, that 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 scratches my multiplayer itch, which is makes me very frustrated and a horrible person when I'm playing it. So that's why I stopped playing it. Uh, I, I am normal kind of game. Uh, I, oh, Kingdom Come. I'm still playing that. Yeah. So I, that's kind of like a, I just, I just dip into that like once a week or so. And every time I fire it up, uh, cause I went with, with Kingdom Come. I'm not one of these people who rushes games. I don't, I don't see the point in that. It's like, I spent some money on this. I'm going to relax and immerse myself. That's, that's my kind of game. You just immerse yourself in the world. And Is this the medieval simulator thing? Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. It's, it's got its problems. The combat, the sword combat could do a bit of work, but, you know, I wouldn't do it quite like that. But um, it, it, it is, it's very frustrating at the start, but it's, it really rewards um, prolonged play. And the story is great, the way the writing and stuff. Um they did it. Considering the studio, I mean, it was a Kickstarter, wasn't it? So uh, the studio is not huge. It's like it's amazing that they, they managed to put so much content in. Um, but it's good content. It's not. Uh, it's not just thrown in there. It's made with love, and you can really tell when you play it. Uh, so that's really that's about the only thing I'm playing at the moment. That's, I think that's good. I've always got a. I've always got a save of um, Dark Souls. 
I've got two at the moment, so I've got like another. I have, I always have, I have a playthrough of some Dark Souls at some point on something. <laughs> so I've had a Dark Souls one playthrough. I actually just restarted Demon Souls. Me too. But, yeah. Just out of curiosity, because I've, so I've played it, and it's all right. I yeah. really like it. Yeah. yeah. The start level, I think it's, I think it's, I, I think it's my favorite one to be it's honest. Good. It's, it's just really, the really good. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so I was happy to go back to that. Uh, I've not. I only play it every now and again, but yeah. but really, I kind of cycle through the same games. I tend to play <laughs> games very much. I like I, I, it's sort of a comfort zone thing, really. I don't want to risk. You know, you get to a certain age and you're like, I can't afford a twenty hours on this if it's not very good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. What about you, Sean? Uh, I suppose. <clears throat> well, apart from Rusty Dam Park. Oh, which, yeah, which I've been playing lot, quite a lot that, of that. that. That's a given. That's a given. Yeah, I've been playing that on Anything the iPad. Else we'll forget that. about that. But um, yeah, I, I started playing. I like games I can just dip into pretty quick at the moment because I've got two kids, although they're pretty old now. But um, I've been playing Enter the Gungeon. Um, that's a good doing just a rolling um, to when you roll just at the right moment and then you're invincible just for that. Yeah, yeah. I quite, I quite enjoy the fact that I can just sort of dip in and out, and I'm not too. I, I don't get too upset about it. I, I'm not in it for the long run, as it were. Um, so I played quite a lot of that. Um, I've been going back and playing games. Uh, my son got a Switch. Oh yes, yes. A few months ago, so I've been playing quite a bit of Mario Odyssey, which is just it's just a joy to play. The the movement is. Second to none. Yeah, uh, I mean, yeah, when, when people are making uh, platformers, I always say, "Have you played any Mario recently?" Oh no, yeah. Yeah, please do. Yeah, um, but I mean, yeah, <laughs> the great thing with Mario is if you if you go back to Mario sixty four, it's, yeah, it's the insane. movement is just so amazing for that time. I mean, it, well, it, they don't reinvent the wheel, really. Yeah, they, they go, yeah, we've got this. It works. Refine, let's, let's refine that. Refine and refine. Yeah. So and that's, what, that's what Nintendo do. They just refine what they've got. Yeah. They? But the but the movement, I, I, it's just a joy to play their the smoothness of it you all. You must have seen that way before everyone else did, right? Oh well, yeah. There was when I first arrived at Rare. Yeah, it had just been oh, released yeah. the week before. Yeah, it was. It was like it was under lock and key. But literally yeah. lock and key. <laughs> Somebody was stood there while you played. But you'd had it for like six months, I think, before I'd started or something. I think uh, quite a while. Yeah, yeah. but it was, was was it in colour as well. <laughs> Because <laughs> people were importing it and they couldn't get the colour out of the. Oh, right. No, it, yeah. it was the Japanese. It was version. Japanese. Yeah, was the... Japanese. Yeah. They had little charts to say go down twice, press yeah. this, and do that. And yeah. Just... Yeah. But, but Rare had a version, didn't they, before release? Because yeah. as I say, uh, I think the week I started, it, it had just been released officially in the UK. So. Um... Yeah, that was getting to play on that was a special thing at Rare for. Uh, for a lot of people, you know, it was this top secret. Yeah. 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 Well, certain people have more access to it than others. Yeah, some yeah. people. It was, a, it was a magical time. I do remember seeing an HMV in London. Like, what the hell is this? I knew it was coming. Yeah. The, big, the big head. But, but, yeah, you just saw this big head. And it was in black and white because they couldn't get the <laughs> signal sorted because it was on PAL and it was a mess. Like, what the, why is it? Oh, wow. You know, because I'd seen the PlayStation do its thing. We'd all had, right? We'd all seen it. Like, yeah. this is the dinosaur demo. Everyone knows about the dinosaur demo. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and then uh, you saw this, and like, 
This is this is incredible. The only, only negative against the N64 is that all the games were in 3D. They all had that, whereas the PlayStation and indeed Saturn could really do 2D amazingly as well. Which is, yeah. Which is interesting. Let me look at uh, Castlevania. Wow. So, anyway, bit of a diversion. But, uh, no, yeah. Yeah, so, I mean, it's, it's sort of Switch stuff at the moment. So, yeah. soon... Two as well. I've been playing quite a bit of. Really? Uh, right. Yeah, yeah. Just kind of game. It's not really. It's just that it's it's such a nice. The switch is such a nice device yeah. that I'm I'm prepared to play pretty much anything. What's the environment like on that? Like, oh, it's all right. It's just uh, typical multiplayer. Oh, right. Jump in, get. No, I mean like the community around it. Though. Oh, I don't. I don't get involved in any community <laughs> stuff. <laughs> I just jump in, play, play yeah. badly, and then jump out. So it's my experience of multiplayer communities. Oh, I, f- I think they're a f- fairly toxic. <laughs> no, I think I think it's a bit more friendly. I would expect someone. Yeah, we're teetering on the brink where we start talking about large multiplayer communities, and listeners are now waiting for me to make a reference about World of Warcraft. Put the drink down. I'm not going to talk about it. Put it no. down. You. We didn't- Oh, that oh cool. but yeah, yeah, we were, we were, we were hardcore. Yeah, yeah. See, don't, don't, because they're going to take yeah. drinks now. <laughs> we even think we thought for about ten seconds in a positive way yeah. of restarting our accounts again, On so the, that we um, can play the classic servers when. They yeah, come. yeah, because we're um, we're, we're classic sixty rogues that um spent all their time ganking. That Black Rock Mountain. Yeah. <laughs> just, so, just okay. leave it in the memory. I think. Yeah, I suppose, yeah, I think it, so. it was a fantastic time. All right, I can take a drink now. <laughs> it was a fantastic time, but uh, yeah, it's uh, that for me. That was one of the most uh, extraordinary multiplayer experiences I've ever had. So, yeah, yeah I, I think it was for. for I, I still can't. I've been trying to work out why that is, and I've been no. trying to find other games to emulate that. That sense of exploration. That sense. Of, there's something about it. Yeah. That, I've played other multiplayer games going, yep, this will be that. This is like, I'm going to get that thing, yeah. whatever that was. Yeah. And it's just it's flat and there's nothing. Something you know. about, some, yeah. It was structured. It was just. It was the fact it, there was no zones where there were, but you'd gone up on a mountain. You could look across and go, I can walk there without yep. any loading. I know you two know, as I did, that there was loading, but they did it in such a clever way that you did. Yeah, it yeah, was. It was it was something else yeah. from a programming point of view. It was a work of art, and I'm sure they, I'm sure they hacked and slashed it together at the time. And now it's probably a big machine that's. Yeah. And, but. I've not heard good things about the recent update, but uh, I don't know. Battle of Azeroth, isn't oh, it? Oh right, yeah. yeah. YouTube seems to be. I mean, that's just YouTube. Though I, I take it with a pinch of salt. YouTube just seems to be full of people whinging about everything. Yeah, it's so negative. Uh, Twitch is a little bit more positive, I find. So uh, yeah. that's why I like streaming on there because you just generally have positive experiences. Usually. Yeah, they're quite draconian with the uh, with stuff, aren't they? You can't just go on there and be a dick. No. <laughs> yeah. Because of the nature of the medium, I guess. But anyway, yeah. enough of that. All Let's right. move on to the second half of the show where we delve deep into the unlikely legend of Rusty Pop.
Okay, this should be quick then. <laughs> <laughs> so before I can delve deep, the audience needs to know what it is. So the first question isn't a question. Regular listeners don't know. It's actually the Zeroth question. Please do tell us what is the unlikely legend of Rusty Pup. Uh, it's a puzzle platformer, I guess, in the mould of uh, very hard puzzle platformers. So it's um, okay. So it's it's actually quite difficult to describe. It's got elements of. Um, so the idea is that the conceit, the original conceit of the game, the core of the core idea was. was a robot that just had a set of behaviours, whatever they were, and it just went from A to B, and you had to influence it and guide it um, without directly controlling the robot and exit, get from the start of the level and exit to uh, get to the exit of the level without dying. And that was it. And that was the first sort of thing we went... And I thought, oh, what can we do? How? So then it was just a case of coming up with some mechanics that, that could influence it, um, of which, you know, there's hundreds of hundreds of ideas for things like that. And we had to obviously whittle it down to, to a reasonable amount um, uh, to, to keep the gameplay interesting without it being like, you know, a one-trick pony. Um, so, um, and to sustain it for a reasonable amount of time. I mean, originally we thought, oh, we're it's going to be on the phone, it's going to be on the iPad, so fairly casual and hour, two hours maybe total gameplay for someone who's sort of competent. And then it just kind of, as we put it in, so we did the graphics. We wanted it to look like um, the old kind of rare games, the old sprite games. We wanted to have that kind of aesthetic. So that was the first thing. So this kind of pre-rendered sort of thing with some loads of post-production on the on the sprite, so it's sprite, so it's all 2D, but then give it uh, a depth to it uh, in the transforming the camera, so that, you know, depth of field, and then we sort of laid in some nice effects, and it kind of, and we put some lighting in, and, and it all kind of started to look interesting, and a lot more um, uh, refined than the initial idea, which was, a, which was a bit more of a, not a throwaway kind of game, but more of a casual game. And then the difficulty sort of started to creep in. Yeah. And then I started adding a narrative in. And it, and it sort of mutated into this much larger game than the simple puzzle platformer. It was more of a, a world. So we, started, we, had, we had a world and you had multiple routes and we had transport system in there to well, get so around. It's an action-adventure game now, isn't it? Which it I, is. I, I it is an action-adventure. But yeah. I'm, uh, there's, there's a narrative there. So we have like a conversation between you and the character and then there's two other characters who come in who do, who, who've got speech because um, I wanted to try and get some performance in there as well to help. That's kind of like the glue that holds the the story together because there's no direct, there's no like cutscenes or anything like that. It's it's all in, you, what you see is what you get in the game, um, and it kind of evolved really. Um, so yeah, I mean, I guess puzzle platformer, action adventure. Um, it's Hopefully a bit of Zen in there, because the idea it was never meant to be something you would just sit and play in one sitting. That was never the that was more of a I'll play one level today. Yeah. You, know, you sat in the toilet with your, your iPad. I'll play one level, okay, let's see if I can work this one out. And you just set it off and off he goes and you can kind of try and work out just by watching what happens if you don't do anything. Yeah. And then you just kind of take it from there. And then eventually, hopefully you'll go because it's exponential, like you have one mechanic and then two mechanics and then you have four options at this point and then eight options at this point. 
So what, on the face of it, this was the idea, it would seem quite simple, suddenly becomes this extremely complicated thing that you've got, there's so many possibilities here, but there's only really one here probably that works. Uh, and that becomes more so later on in the game. Um, as, as, as the design kind of expanded and I started to use things, started to use all the different mechanics in more interesting ways than, than just saying, oh, you can build a platform and you can cross the platform you've built. Boom. So the rules and stuff, all the little rules that you learn, you learn by failing was the idea. So apart from the very first level where we give you fairly straightforward, do this, do this, right, you've got the basics. Everything else, the design philosophy for everything else was, let them make mistakes. Let the player make mistakes. If they keep doing the same thing by doing it wrong at this point and they give up, then there's nothing you can do about that. I'm not going to tell them they're doing it wrong. They're clearly doing it wrong because they're failing. And that hopefully, I think that's the best way of learning anything is, is to try something and go, well, that didn't work. Okay, let's try one of the other options here. And that's hopefully why people kind of, click with it and enjoy it and get to a point where it's, it's not for faint hearted. It's like, you've got to, you've got to bring something to it. Um, you know, mentally as it were, it's not going to play itself, uh, beyond the fact that there's a robot dog. Uh, but then also I wanted to try and engage you with a dog and make him, making him a, a likable character through, through his little speech bubbles and things that happen in the, in the, in the scene and the conversation you're having with, well, the conversation that's going on with, with, with the narration. So, and it all kind of, that's it all kind of layered itself and became what it is now, which was sort of, uh, yeah, as you say, an adventure and a, and a story that, that's actually quite a lot longer than we anticipated. So yeah, so, for me, it's the antithesis, the antithesis of threes. Nothing wrong with threes <laughs> at all, or indeed, you know, super hexagon. You know, it's the antithesis of that. Although difficulty-wise, they're on the par. With each other, uh, but sorry, Sean, I cut you off. You were about to say uh, something. Uh, what was I going to say? Yeah, um, yeah. I, I was just going to elaborate on the on the story the story side. We, you know, we've had quite a few people. Well, I say quite a few people. We've we've had people get to the end, and it and it's really cool when you get a letter back and they go, "God, it all fits together. It all makes sense." You know, they they've kind of figured out the whole flow of the story through it. They haven't, no one's quite got exactly what it is. No, not exactly, because there's a, a bit of ambiguity, but we're, we're, we're not going to come clean on that. I was going to write a little novel in the style of like an old sort of Enid Blyton, you know, thrippany bit kids adventure book. Uh, I might still do it, actually, where, it, where it's implicitly lays out, this is what this yeah, means. Yeah. But then I'm thinking, oh, no, I'll just leave it. No, it's the, the interpretation, but it's, it's really nice when you get a – and a couple of emails back from people saying, "Oh, you know this. This was really emotional. I, I get it now. I, I yeah. you know, you have pull... to read though. You yeah, you do, you do. But there, there, it is all hidden in there, and uh, and there are people that do. You it's know, got a little twist. Yeah, at the yeah. end. But it's yeah. that's it's that's re- that's the cool bit, I think. And and again, Chris kind of had that in mind from the beginning. Um, a, but only sort of, you know, is a sort of a vague Tangential, story, wasn't yeah. it? Yeah, yeah, and it, and it all fitted together in the end, which was which was really. It's cool. not an allegory, anyway. No, hey, allegories. No. It, it's it, it is implicitly something real that's happening. Yeah, but, uh, so, it's metaphor than allegory. Yes. Yeah. So, first design question then. Base yourself. Okay. It's really blunt, but I need you to to explain 
why. I think I know why, but most of these questions I know the answer to, but I want to hear it from yourselves. Why is there a timer to complete the level? Why is there a time limit? Yeah. Oh, that was one of the first mechanics I put in. Uh, because it um, it bookends everything really nicely. Um, it, 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 it makes it easier for me as a designer if, if, if you've got an X amount of time to do a level. It's like it's old as the hills as a, as a game mechanic goes. It's a great game mechanic. I'll, I'll probably use it again on other things. Um, yeah, I've always liked time limits. Uh, and it seemed perfect for it because he's a, he, he's a, a robot dog. And the idea is he winds down sort of, sort of thing and mysteriously rewinds back up again if you exit the level. But we won't. Uh, yeah, whatever. That's, uh, <laughs> Some um, invisible hand that winds it back up. Yeah, yeah, we don't. Yeah. But no, I, th- I think it, I, I, I just like the idea. I mean, it, it, it adds tension, obviously. It puts some tension into, into a level. Uh, it, it limits me as a designer in that um, I know that when I'm making this level, there's this time limit, and I have to try and make everything fit within that in a way uh, that is uh, not too cheap. And it, it's a way of also indicating to people you know if you take if, if take it if you're getting out of this level or you're not getting out of this level in time no matter how much you think you're doing the right thing you're probably not <laughs> because yeah. Yeah. most levels you've have designed with a fairly reasonable chunk at the end where you can there's a couple where the point of the level is you've got to rush you've got to do it quickly you've got to do it in the right way and you will exit with five seconds to go most of them I, i'm very generous with the timer um okay but it, it's it's just a it's just a, i just like it as a mechanic i always have done um it was a good constraint to work within as i say it's more, it's more it's more helpful to me yeah as a designer than anything because it, it, it limits me uh, um having too many options in, as far as designers concerned is a really bad thing <laughs> you yeah. need to have, like your limits are oh well we've, we're doing it in 2d there's a limit uh if you've got like Unlimited resources, unlimited, um, uh, you know, vistas, unlimited software or whatever to do what you want. You, it's a, it's a lot harder to design a game. Whereas with us, it's like we've constrained it all to within certain things, two D, and that that itself it, 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 the the discipline of that it means that you tend to be a lot more focused. <laughs> Do the things, do do the things right, and not worry about other things. And having a time limit as a design can see as a good thing, but also as a as a, a way of focusing me as a designer and focusing you as a player. Yes, is also a very good thing. So, so and it, 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 it kind of originally it came out of the sat on the toilet kind of thing. Oh yeah, yes. Yeah. So you know, oh we've got yeah, I've got two and a half minutes. Right, I can do it this time. <laughs> <laughs> Finish so, this yeah, finish this level in two and a half minutes. So, um, next question. I think you've answered this already, but I wanted to delve into it a little bit more. There's a great deal of effort that is put into creating a nurturing relationship between the player and Rusty Pup himself. Yeah. This wasn't an intentional thing, wasn't it? It wasn't intentional. Yeah. The relationship, yeah, of course, yeah. Yeah, it's the conversations going on between. So, you've got, um, you've got like, uh, the, there's an ambiguity there, but you've got the girl's voice who's apparently your friend. You've got you as the player, somebody else. You're not either the voice of the girl. You've got the voice of an antagonist, 
who's more of an antagonist to the girl than he he or she is to you, the player. And then you've got Rusty, who's kind of aware of all three of you, but doesn't care. And I and that dynamic is really kind of it's like a four way thing, really. Um, it was just a, it was just a nice way of kind of telling a story, as it were. So we don't really break the fourth wall as such. I guess Rusty looks into the, looks at you sometimes and sort of you know his thought bubbles are directed at you, the player, rather than anything else. Yeah. Um, but the the conversation was just, it was just a way of um, of grounding everything really and and making the the act of playing a level less uh, kind of cold and and impersonal. It it brought some personality to. But it does raise the anxiety because you don't want to see him get hurt. Uh, hopefully, yeah. Well, yeah. yeah. Obviously, I want you to like the main character. I yeah. want you to like him. He was made to be as likable as possible. He's got, he's got great big eyes. Yeah. You no, know, and he's he's cute. And uh, when his thought bubbles come out, he, he's not, he's not antagonistic in any way. He's always very, oh, hello, this is <laughs> <Yeah>. nice. You know, <laughs> an agreeable kind of individual that yeah. some. Like like a child's toy, hint hint. hint. <laughs> um, yeah, so that was absolutely that was that was intended. Yeah. So there's a great deal happening on the screen. Uh, yes. I've found a lot of movement, which you this is great. It's one of the foundations of video game design. Latter game design is if you have a static screen or no one's interacting, have something moving just to keep it rolling. But um, how do you make sure that you, you, you tread that balance between spectacle and overwhelming the player with sort of you know, visual feedback? What, what, what do you think you do with uh, the unlikely legend Rusty Pup to make sure that people aren't overwhelmed? I don't know if we've achieved that. They, yeah, they probably are probably are overwhelmed to a certain degree. But but what we I, I think what was kind of important was. The, the the whole level is part of the puzzle. Learning to interpret the level is is actually quite an important part of of understanding. Because if if you strip everything away and and turn it into just a a set of platforms, you know, yeah, people, have, people can figure out the puzzles probably well, you know fairly fast. Well, but, in our in our editor to help yeah. me when I'm designing levels and building levels, we have a layer that is called gameplay. Yeah, and it is only the elements in the level that actually do something that can be affected by or or affect something else. And what it, what you see there is a really bland-looking level because the gameplay bits, you know, it's, a, it's like a thread through everything. Yeah. Uh, it's only when you turn the dressing on, which is 80% of the assets that you see, that everything just suddenly pings and everything, it just looks, you know, it looks great, in my yeah. opinion. We, we sp- I spent a lot of time doing those dressings. But, yeah, you're right. If you were to take those out, it probably would be a much easier game yeah, to play. Yeah, it, it would be I, – I think it would be much easier for people to work stuff out. But, but it, would the look, le- it would look like – it wouldn't look very nice. Yeah, it'd look it like – It doesn't a, look very nice. Yeah, it looked like, you know, it'd be a 69p yeah. puzzler probably for most people. But the, the aesthetics to me are incredibly important. Yeah, so. yeah, I mean – Because it's part of the mood of the game, you know. Any any game, if you take if you strip out the thing that makes it feel like what it is, and just have a bare bones. I mean, if you were, I don't know, whatever. What, what's a, a well, okay? Dark Souls say if that was just like a generic man on untextured blocks. I mean, it would still play the same. But you know, who the hell would want to play that? It's like <laughs> it, yeah. the, the moves and the atmosphere and the and the, the everything everything about it is 
you could have good gameplay at the core, accept it, but all the dressing and all the other bits, the bits that actually take much more time, uh, are overwhelmingly. Yeah, I suppose that, that's where the experience they have the comes same, from. At least the same presence yeah. in, in the, terms of. But the other thing to remember with Rusty, and I think it, it takes a little while for people to kind of, for it to hit them, is that if if Rusty is obscured or you're finding it difficult to see him in an area, it's because there's no chance of him dying there. Yeah, it's, it's, not, a, it's not an important area. It tends to be if it's if it's critical area or something, you know, it'd be it'll be a lot more exposed. And I think for for some people, it takes a little while to to well, learn how to read that. The other thing about Rusty is that's unusual for most platformers is I'd say fifty percent of any level you don't need to. In fact, you're not really you're not really meant to be looking at the main character. Yeah, yeah. He's doing something. You've gone. I've created enough of a time buffer here for me to go over to this other side of the level where I need to sort this bit out so that he doesn't die when he gets there. And that's another. That was another. It was like juggling spinning plates. I call it. It's like yeah. spinning plates. You've got all these different things you need to do, a certain amount of time to do it in, and the pressure is: is he safe? Is he safe? Is he safe? And the tendency is with players to start play at the start is I've got to keep an eye on him. I've got to keep an eye on him. But if you just, I, I play it now and I'm like, I'm still thinking that, and I know he's safe because I designed the level. Yeah. But there's still that bit of me going, oh, he's over there. Is he? He's going to die, isn't he? No, no, I'm fine. I'm fine. I've got I've got 30 seconds to build this bridge and to move that lift down the right place and to make sure this baddie here doesn't go down that corridor instead of that one. Um, and it's that sense of urgency which I which I wanted in the game. So, so all that dressing is important for that. You know, it's all, it, it, it gives you little clues as, as to this, that, and the other uh, as well. It's just pure gameplay, um, which is important also, but it can be quite clinical if it's just pure Yeah, and the, the, there are some subtle things going on in the background as well. Like we've got, we're slightly over bright the, the platforms and stuff so that they pop out a bit more on that. Yeah, we do the loads levels. of little... There's I mean, lots of things that people pro- probably, don't probably not aware of, but, yeah. you know, we've, we've sort of went... If we actually raise the light in a little bit, that's going to stand out a bit more. But it's, uh, like I say, the levels are the puzzle, the whole thing, and learning to read the level is part of figuring out the puzzle. Um, yeah. So, last question. I know, all the things must come to an end. But, uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's the last one. How have you balanced puzzle solving against dexterity challenges? By playing the level? <laughs> <laughs> That's coming back to what I just said about spinning plates. It's, yeah, um, indeed, yeah. I, I, I like... I like to trick. I mean, Sean knows this because he curses oh, yeah, me. Yeah, yeah, used to. I trick. I trick players into making mistakes. That's part of my the remit of designing levels. Going back to the thing about best way to learn is to fail, um, and the best best way for me to make sure someone fails is to set something up that they'll fail on to to, to get them to understand how yes. that works. Yeah. See what I mean? Rather than say you should have pressed B there or whatever it is, for instance. Just let them fail, and then they'll know why because of experience. Um, and that that then feeds. I mean, the thing about dexterity versus uh, it's that sense, it, the sense of urgency, that that sense of panic. 
is that I like you to not have that. Uh, I like to feel that the character's safe when he actually isn't. And I've always given you enough time and um, to do everything you need to do. And you have more than enough time, except for some of the levels right towards the end where I'm, I'm a lot more, you know, I've, I, you've got this far, I'm going to punish you. You're going to have to do things very quickly. And that, you expect that in the last few levels of any game. So if you've been playing it for 12 hours in the last hour, you, you, you know, you don't want it to be a cakewalk for people. But grading, I mean, grading it's quite difficult anyway, but some of the levels, the sense of panic is almost manufactured in yeah. a way. Yeah. yeah, It's deliberately made to make you panic, to then learn that you didn't really need to panic. You had plenty of time. So it's probably a bit of a clue there. If, if you are rushing around on a level, certainly early on, chances are you're doing it wrong. You're making the wrong choices or you're not going to the right place so you, you scratch it. I mean, to wake him up, you wake him up on the level. So you, at the start, you have a little bit of time to kind of look around and check the puzzle and go, okay, I think I know what I need to do here. Certainly the first 30 seconds is probably, it's wise to kind of go, right, what's going to happen? I'm going to fall straight off the edge there, aren't I? And die. I can clearly see that. Right, I need to stop that from happening. And, you, and people take it from there. That's, that's how I design the levels to work. Um, I do want people to panic when they're playing it. But, I, but it's because I'm teaching them something rather than I want you to panic. I'd rather you didn't panic because you've worked the puzzle out. So so the panic is part of the learning, if you see what I mean, rather than implicitly it will happen every time you play. It's more of a, yep, he's panicking, panicking, panicking. You've got to get that lift there, that lift there. Ah, oh, he's messed it up, messed it up. Then the next time they play, they go, oh, hang on, I've got loads of time here. He's going to take... Yeah, I, I think that's that, that's what I discovered from from getting the levels because because I I basically wrote all the mechanics you know all, for all the the bits and bobs in the game and then Chris would just build a level and send it to me and then I'd get to play it and yeah. that initial thing I'd always think oh god you know I've got no time yeah. and then three or four goes into it I'm like hang on this is easy I've got loads, <laughs> I've got loads but it's of like any puzzle game it, yeah. it is easy when you know the solution yeah, yeah. of course it is I mean I, okay some of our final levels I must admit I do I do know the solution there's one in particular this is the crafting one that that bloke talked about <laughs> I it's one in five I'll actually manage to finish it because even when you know the puzzle you are panicking yeah you, you and you've got there's about time. I think there's about 20 things You've got to do in the right order, the right time, and they exponentially become more difficult. And that's fine. It's an optional level. So is there any levels that are really difficult? They kind of branch off. They're like, there's, a, there's this, you basically collect brains, and there's 104 brains. You don't have to get more. So it's like, a, it's like any kind of game like that, where you have this main um, currency uh, to unlock doors, which is essentially what, what we use it for. Uh, and, that, and I think that's fine. I think it's all right to have levels that you think people aren't going to finish. I mean, most people don't finish. I, I can't remember the last game I finished to 100%. It's many years. But I think the, the thing with this game anyway is we didn't set out to make a, a, an easy puzzler. It's, it's, no. You know, this isn't a sort of I don't, just thing go is, through I the mechanics. Less, and, I don't think it's as hard as some people are making out. No, no, no. They just, just – you need to get – you've you got to think – yeah. And there is an element of dexterity there. There is an element of thinking. There's an element of, of problem solving. But I like. there's no RNG. That's an important thing. We don't have any kind of random moments where something happens that's completely out of your yeah. – you, know, you, do, you do exactly the same thing and then it 
there might be a bug in there that will cause that but we try and fix those yeah <laughs> but we don't it has to be absolutely logical you know, ones and noughts you you know the rules you've learned the rules here's the puzzle use what you've got there might be something new that you're going to learn but i'm going to show you how to, how that works before i put you in a perilous situation that really punishes you for it so yeah um and it's just it's basic design philosophy really particularly with with puzzlers you know yeah. it's a bunch of logical things happening in a logical way and stick at it and you you will work it out it all does work however frustrated you may become <laughs> there's there's a great sense though when you solve a hard level that real oh, whoa yeah. you know yeah i, I am I, a god yeah yeah i mean i uh, and that's why i enjoyed writing it um because yeah. when you get those moments it's like oh god yeah of course yeah of course that's the way to do it and, and, of course yeah. yeah yeah you know and, and i'm not sort of privy to how chris designs them chris you know will just play the same level a million times and then it you know they usually arrive at me in a kind of 99 percent finished state yeah, you know I, and it's like here's the puzzle <laughs> i mean we we said this before but about i'd say about half a half the game again that that you see in in the finished game was, was binned it was levels that we just went yeah. no it doesn't fit in there it was something where we were trying something out and the, the puzzle in within itself was fine but it didn't fit in the in the way the, the level flowed so um and that's not something you can really design at the start you, it's only through playing the game in order that you kind of get a sense of the grade and what needs to go where and how things feel. And it took a little while to get into how you wanted to present, you know, all the, these 30 mechanics and these all these yeah. other things. You know, it, it was kind of a bit overwhelming at the beginning, I think, <clears throat> because, we, you know, even with like five or six mechanics, it was you could make infinite size levels, you know. And so the time constraint on, on each level helped with that. And then Chris came up with this way of structuring it and then pretty much it became a you know each day or each week we'd get new levels and it, it, yeah. it would move forwards and um, it, it's it's a it, once you've got all your mechanics that's that's the big trick once yeah. you know once you've triaged all the mechanics that you because we've had mechanics that were actually implemented that we took out as well yeah uh, as well as all the designed ones that were just like bits of paper and scribbles and stuff um but once you've triaged all that out and you've gone, nope, it's this and this and this, and it all kind of everything complements everything else. You then really look at the whole game and go, right, what do we introduce? Then how do we use it? Then what do we introduce? Then how do we use those in relation to what went previously? And the game just really just grew, yeah. grew and designed itself just just from the mechanics and how I introduced them and how it, what felt right and what didn't. Uh, and then we made it look pretty. Yeah. <laughs> that sounds pretty. So, well, that's, yeah. a, that's, that's a wonderful way to, to sign off. The unlikely legend of Rusty Pup uh, Bikeway detail is out now on Windows PC. Uh, you can pick up pick it up on Steam and, and no doubt other yeah. platforms, but right now it's on Steam. Um, Sean and Chris has been absolutely wonderful having you on. Uh, Thanks for having us. Coming soon on iPad. <laughs> oh, all right. It's coming on iPad. So there you go. Did not know In the new year sometime. Yeah. Okay. Very good. So, um, but no, I, I can't thank you enough for, for sharing your experiences both at Rare and there's also at yeah. uh, making awesome. uh, The Unlikely Legend of Rusty Pup. So uh, it is a wonderful, wonderful game. If you haven't picked it up, you. do so. 
everyone. It's fantastic. That's why I had these guys on the show, because I really believe in what they've done. It needs to be yelled about, because it's just so, so good. No one's really, well, not enough people are talking about it as much as they should. So here we are. Too many clickbait articles. You see <laughs> yeah. that? You say loads of people are interested in game development and design, but you look at the mainstream press, you wouldn't think so. No, you wouldn't think so, would you? Which is a real shame, because I think you're right. I think people are interested in it. They're just, there's just no one's writing about it in the, uh, in the mainstream press. Well, here we are talking really, about it. Really, if you're going to get into game development, people need to know know about it and yeah, the, yeah. how much fun it is and how rewarding it is. and Yeah. yeah. Articles about Fortnite. <laughs> <laughs> Three million Fortnite articles won't tell you that. No, they won't. They'll just tell you about loot boxes and dancing. Apparently, <laughs> loot boxes. Oh man, do you know what? <laughs> it's no, it's not, I think it was the loot boxes. I don't. I think they're a bad thing. Yeah, they are. Eight more. Is everyone whinging about them all the time? <laughs> Stop talking about them. Stop talking about them. They'll go away. Yeah, good, good, will, point. good point. Definitely go away. Think so, of, okay. Right, yeah. no, 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 no. We're going to another show now. So, uh, no, again, Chris and uh, Sean, thanks for very much for your time. It's been awesome. You're welcome. Thank you for um, thank you for showing us some interest. Yes, thank you. It's very. It's all. It's all helps. <laughs>